to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You know what we have to do? We have to continue to speak the truth in love, even to a culture that doesn't want to hear it. And we have to do so knowing that many people are deceived. They're blinded. They've been taken captive by the devil to do his will, and we've got the key to release them from prison. It's the truth. It's God's word. The truth will set you free. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapters 17, verse 1 through 6 and 18 in a message titled, Babylon is Fallen. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Speciesism is the idea that, that all species are equal, that there's no superior species, that man is no more superior to any other species. Uh, There's no distinction really in importance between an insect and a human being. This idea underlies this whole charter. And of course, this idea underlies uh, much of the thinking of the left in this country and around the world. Peter Singer, who's a a famous uh, philosopher and ethicist, he is a professor at Princeton University He's the one who's most famous for promoting speciesism. And and he is so adamantly opposed to the idea that human beings are are better than any other species. He actually said, if you were walking down a deserted road and you found a, a, a struggling infant and you also found a struggling animal of some sort, it would probably be ethically superior to take care of the animal than the human being. These, of course, are the same people that think abortion is perfectly legitimate. You know, recently we've heard radical things coming from people in power in our country saying that the unborn child does not have any constitutional rights and things like that. So it's, it's all wrapped up in the same mindset. So that's number one. Secondly, affirm faith in the inherent dignity of all human beings and in the intellectual, artistic, ethical, and spiritual potential of humanity. Now, on the surface, those things all sound pretty good. You just have to dig deeper to find out what they mean by that. And then you realize, oh, this is, it's obviously a very anti-biblical understanding of life. Uh, Third, to ensure universal access to health care that fosters reproductive health and responsible reproduction. So there you have reproductive health. Uh, That's all euphemisms for abortion and things like that. The fourth one is interesting. Eliminate discrimination in all its forms, such as that based on race, color, sex, sexual orientation, religion, language, and national, ethnic, or social origin. And then fifthly, promote the equitable distribution of wealth within nations and among nations. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but... Uh, This document that was finalized in June of 2000, this is exactly what is being forced on the world and the culture today. All of these things, this is it. This is what we're seeing. And and I don't know if you've noticed, but it's kind of like a tsunami. It's just uh, unstoppable, it seems. It just seems to keep rolling 
across the land and around the world, these new, this new morality, a morality that's based in a anti-theistic worldview is rolling across the land. Now, I'm reading directly from the website of the Earth Charter. You can read it yourself. But it says this, the Earth Charter was finalized and then launched as a people's charter on the 29th of June, 2000, by the Earth Charter Commission, an independent international entity in a ceremony at the Peace Palace in The Hague. The drafting of the Earth Charter involved the most inclusive and participatory process ever associated with the creation of an international declaration. This process is the primary source of its legitimacy as a guiding ethical framework. The legitimacy of the document has been further enhanced by its endorsement by over 6,000 organizations, including many governments and international organizations. In light of this legitimacy, an increasing number of international lawyers recognize that the Earth Charter is acquiring the status of a soft law document. Soft law documents like the Universal Declaration of Human Rights are considered to be morally, but not legally binding on state governments that agree to endorse and adopt them. And they often form the basis for the development of hard law. So it's, they said here, it's, it's a soft law document at this point. They see it as morally binding, but not, notice, yet legally binding. Their hope is that it will become hard law, that it will be uh, required by law. And you know what? They're moving in that direction and we see it happening all around us today. So, of course, their desire is that this kind of thing become hard law. Now, here's the scary thing about this. This is spooky even. This charter, the Earth Charter, is kept in what's called the Ark of Hope which is a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, for those of you that don't know, that is the place where the Ten Commandments were kept. That is the, you know, goes back to, to Moses and the, and the giving of the law. So by creating this Ark of Hope and putting this in there, to me, it just seems like there's a blatant effort to say, you know, we are replacing all of that old stuff just like Gorbachev suggested. So this is happening. Now, on the Earth Charter's website, there's an article. Now, now let me just say this. The, these guys, Gorbachev and Strong and uh, Rockefeller and these guys, you know, they, they represent a spirituality, uh, leftist ideology. But let's move it now to the theological perspective. So on the website, there's an article by Brazilian Catholic theologian Leonardo Boff in which he compares the encyclical of Pope Francis entitled On Care of Our Common Home. This was the encyclical that Pope Francis wrote uh, shortly after he became the Pope talking about care for the planet. And he says that the encyclical and the Earth Charter are remarkably similar. And in many places, they parallel one another. So that's where we make the connection away from just the, the secular, you know, philosophical kind of vague spiritual mindset of the others that were mentioned. And now we're talking about the leader of the Roman Catholic Church. And his encyclical, according to Boff, is 
very similar to the Earth Charter, so similar that he says it's obvious that the Pope drew from the Earth Charter. So th this is an example. I want to give you some other examples. Um, this is uh, obviously with Pope Francis, it's the most current kinds of things. But go, going back a little bit, going back a few decades, because what we're talking about here, right, is the idea that there's a one world religion that is, that is in the, the process of being formed. Back in 1986, Pope John Paul II hosted the World Day of Prayer for Peace. And that was in Assisi, Italy. That unprecedented gathering at the Pope's invitation drew leaders of Jews, Buddhists, Shintoists, Muslims, Zoroastrians, Hindus, Unitarians, traditional African and Native American religions, and many others. Together under the roof of the Basilica of St. Francis, they all prayed side by side with Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant leaders for world peace. So this is not new. This has been in the making for decades going all the way back to the early days, really, of the 20th century. But we're seeing that it is gaining momentum and influence as time goes on. On the 200th anniversary, moving from Catholicism to Anglicanism, on the 200th anniversary of Darwin's birth, Rowan Williams, then Archbishop of Canterbury, and we can thank God he's no longer the Archbishop of Canterbury, he led the Church of England in a public apology to Charles Darwin, for misunderstanding him. Now, the list goes on and on and on. These are just a few examples. But what we're talking about here is the amalgamation of the world's religions with a corrupt Christianity. That is what is happening here. And I think that is what is being described in the book of Revelation. So, all of this brings us to this. The last verse of 17, chapter 17, tells us something that is so interesting. We're talking about the woman. We're talking about this false religious system. We're talking about the fact that it's carried by the empire itself, supported. But notice what it says. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So it tells us right here that the woman is a city. So here's the big question. What city is it? And this is the thing that's not easy to pinpoint. In Revelation, there are three cities, I think, that stand out. Two of them are named, and one is, I think, maybe assumed. Jerusalem, of course, features huge in Revelation. Jerusalem is named. Babylon is named. But think about this. There is no Babylon. Well, there's not a Babylon right this moment, but... I think it's very, very probable that there will be a Babylon in the future, that Babylon will be rebuilt. And perhaps you've heard uh, that there were early attempts after the Gulf War, there were early attempts to rebuild Babylon by the United Nations, with the United States contributing. There's still a desire to do that, to rebuild it as a cultural center, but it's easy transition from a cultural center to something else. So... Babylon is certainly mentioned. We, we're reading about it right here. And chapter 18 speaks very specifically of Babylon. But there's one other city, and the city that's not mentioned, but I think inferred, is Rome. And I think Rome is a definite player in the future because remember this, the 
picture from Daniel is that there are going to be four successive kingdoms that are going to rule over, essentially over Israel. And they, it begins with the Babylonian Empire, and it goes to the Persian Empire, and then it goes to the Greek Empire, then it goes to the Roman Empire. But the interesting thing, according to Daniel, is that the Roman Empire has two phases to it. Phase number one is in connection to the first coming of the Messiah. Phase number two is in connection to the second coming of the Messiah. Nebuchadnezzar sees a vision, and in this vision there's a great image, and it's an image uh, with a head of gold and a chest of silver and belly and thighs of bronze and then uh, legs of iron and, and feet of iron and clay and toes and the ten toes. And, and there it says, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. The days of what kings? The kings that are represented by the ten toes, the kings that are represented here by the ten horns. And that's why we talk about a revived Roman Empire. Daniel made it clear that there's two phases to the Roman Empire. So, of course, if it's going to be the revived Roman Empire, then Rome has to play into it. And so it seems to me that Rome is the best candidate. And now think about this. If in the minds of most people, Christianity has a central headquarters anywhere on the earth, where do you think that is in the minds of most people? Of course, it's Rome. Now, we don't necessarily think that way because we're not submitted to the bishop of Rome, the pope. So we don't think of Christianity as being centered in Rome. But you know what? Everybody else does. And of course, when secular people talk about Christianity, they often think of Rome. They often think of the pope. Think of the celebrity status that the current pope has as he comes to America and tours. And, and so, you know, look, Christianity, everything combined together is the largest religion in the world. And Catholicism makes up a huge portion of that. So Rome seems to be the place, but the Christianity there is and always has been not only mostly unbiblical, but quite often anti-biblical, and in reality, a corrupted form of Christianity. Now, in previous times, anybody saying what I just said would get severe pushback from Roman Catholics. But you know the interesting thing right now, ironically, is that even Catholics, especially conservative Catholics, all over the world are concerned about the state of their church and they're concerned about the current pope. And they believe, many of them, that the pope is leading the church astray from its historical foundations. There's a massive battle going on in the Catholic church today as we speak. Because what many conservative Catholics believe, and I think they're right, the pope seems to be more in sync with the political left than with the historical church and the Bible. And there's all kinds of stuff coming out about this recently. The Pope just did another encyclical on the family. And although he did not change, because he doesn't have the ability to do it alone, he did not change any church law. He basically gave every single priest in the world permission to use their own judgment in relation to certain laws of the church. Now, forever the Catholic Church has taught that if you are divorced, uh, regardless of the reason, 
uh, you are excluded from the sacraments and especially from communion. So that wasn't changed on, a, on an official level, but what the Pope said is he said, well, I'm just gonna you know, encourage all of the individual priests to use their own judgment when it comes to those kinds of things. Now, many Catholics say that's great, that's fantastic. And of course, I, I think the whole position that they've held for all these centuries is wrong as well, but that's beside the point. Uh, many, many would say, well, this is fantastic, but the conservative, the traditional Catholics are saying, no, the, no this is wrong. You, you just gave the priest permission to violate the teaching of the church. And there's hints in the encyclical that that same kind of attitude is to be displayed when it comes to dealing with same-sex relationships. So you see, here's my whole point in case you missed it. The world is rushing toward this type of a thing that, that's being described here in Revelation. We're reading about the future. It's not here yet, but it's moving in this direction. We can see that it's moving in this direction. And like I said earlier, it's like a tsunami. It's, it just seems unbelievable how you know, unstoppable it is, how, how crazy it is. There's no judging right or wrong, especially according to biblical standards. There's a new standard attempting to be set up. And this will culminate when this corrupt church brings all of these other religions under its umbrella and it is all turned into just a, a religion that, like I said earlier, basically worships nature and man with only vague references to God. But it will, after the destruction of this entity by the political powers, it will then become the blatant open worship of Satan. So the best news in all of this is that before this happens, the church will be removed from the planet, the true church. That's, that's, the, that's the good news. But listen, this doesn't mean that things won't get worse before they get better. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, if you believe that he is God the Son, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he's coming back to judge the world, if you believe the Bible is true, if you believe that God has uh, something to say about the way we live sexually and so forth, you are the minority. We are the minority, and in the minds of many, not just the minority, but we are the enemy. That's the way the picture is being painted currently in the culture. The church is the enemy, the true church. So it might get worse before it gets better. You know, we will definitely be removed from the earth before the Antichrist comes to power, but all of these things are gonna to continue to go in this direction in preparation for that. So we might be increasingly squeezed as time goes on. So what does that mean for us? What is our response? Well, I think our response needs to be uh, the same response that Paul called Timothy to have in his day when Timothy lived in a time when it was unpopular to be a Christian, when it was certainly unpopular to be a leader in the church. And what did Paul say to Timothy? He said, guard what was committed to your trust. 
He said, hold fast the pattern of sound words. He said, that good thing, the gospel, that was committed to you by the Holy Spirit, keep that. He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all patience and doctrine. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. You know what we have to do? We have to. We have to graciously and lovingly and firmly continue to stand on the truth. We have to continue to speak the truth in love even to a culture that doesn't want to hear it. And we have to do so knowing that many people are deceived. They're blinded. They've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. And we've got the key to release them from prison. It's the truth. It's God's word. The truth will set you free. And there's all kinds of people out there today who are bound up in this system. They've been deceived. And we can't just stand by and let that happen. We have to speak up and say, no, that's not right. That's not true. That's not reality. And of course, that might cost us. But that's what we're called to do. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. This means practically we have got to know what we believe. We've got to know why we believe it. We've got to, I believe, be more committed to our Bibles and knowing what they say and being able to freely communicate that we've got to be more committed than ever because we are constantly and relentlessly under attack in this area. And finally, Jesus said this, hold fast what you have that no one take your crown. It's time to hold fast what we have. So this is where the world's headed we see that it's already moving swiftly in that direction. But we have to keep our eyes focused on the kingdom. I was with some men this week from around the country, different Calvary Chapel pastors. We spent a week in prayer together. And as we were praying and talking, one of the guys said, you know, he said, the Lord just showed him this parallel. And he said, you know, in the early church, you had these two streams running alongside one another. There was the corruption of the empire and there was the, the, the life of, of the church. And they were running side by side. The church didn't convert the empire in the sense that, you know, we often wish it would happen. The Roman empire became more and more and more corrupt and the church became stronger and stronger and stronger as it stayed focused on its objective, on its calling. And I think that that is a word for us today. Uh, the empire is just morphing from one evil thing into another. And that's not gonna be stopped. The sovereignty of God alone can stop it. We, on the other hand, rather than trying to save the nation, so to speak. We need to be thinking in terms of saving the individuals, of getting the gospel to people and seeing them brought out of the darkness. We know where the world's headed. There's no question about it. The Bible already told us. That doesn't mean we disengage from culture and society and not do anything, but it does mean that we recognize our limitations and we also recognize our priorities. And now let's join Pastor Brian in and the studio as he shares about this month's resource. So God Have I got a book for you? The book is entitled, The God I Won't Believe In, 
facing nine common barriers to embracing Christianity. And this book is written by a good friend of mine named Nick Cady. And in the book, Nick deals with topics like a God who hasn't proven his existence, a God who creates hateful, hypocritical followers, a God who says some love is wrong. And Nick really tackles these from just, a, I think, a brilliant point of view, of course, going back to Scripture and showing that there are good biblical answers to all of these objections. So I want to recommend and I highly recommend Nick Cady's book, The God I Won't Believe In. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The God I Won't Believe In by Nick Cady. You can order the book, The God I Won't Believe In, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The God I Won't Believe In, by Nick Cady, to help you wrestle with the common cultural barriers to embracing Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.